Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is, is Nick Mercadante. Nick, what's going on, man? Hey, Dimitri. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> yeah. Well, last time you had a, uh, we had an incident with you using, what were you using, like the Apple earbud headphones? Yeah. Just uh, good old fashioned earbud headphones hooked up to my computer and uh, sounded like I was uh, in a subway. Yeah. What are you in, like 2011 or something? What? Look, look, it's hard. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't have all this high tech. Uh, stuff for for podcasts like like the pros like you do yes well you know what it's a it's a testament to um how loyal the listeners are because i think a lot of people actually listened throughout the entire show regardless of the audio quality which <laughs> means you're doing something right yeah yeah exactly all right well hopefully it's better this time yeah it sounds good um okay let's uh we're gonna talk goalies later but i thought that uh while i have you on we could do a little bit of a new york rangers deep dive since you are a uh, a rangers fan and i haven't talked about them much since the start of the year i mean um it's been an interesting season for them because i remember they came out of the gate just red hot and they were sort of the talk of the league really because it felt like they were scoring five goals a night and, and they were just playing really exciting hockey and then in the middle of the season there was this lull where they expectedly came back down to earth and and scoring the goals became a, a tougher task and now they've just sort of leveled off and they are they're kind of who we thought they were like i don't know like what, what yeah. where where are you at with them right now and and just what's your what's your take on how this uh the season's gone for them so far so you know as a as a uh, an analyst or a critic of hockey and and of my own team i'm pretty happy right now mm-hmm. because they are exactly what I said they were going to be at the beginning, before the season, like to a T. They fell exactly into um, my expectation of them, which is a team that struggles to get the puck out of their own zone and struggles in general with the defensive aspects of the game, mm-hmm. uh, especially in high leverage, in giving up high leverage chances and, and, and making, making life hard for their goaltenders. Uh, they, they can put the puck in the net, but they rely on odd man breaks and stretch passing. Yeah. And so they get into track meet type games and that can be tough to keep up. Cause look, it's the NHL. You're not going to score 15% every night. It's just, it doesn't work that way. So, um, no matter what style of hockey you play. So, um, you know, when, when the pucks aren't going in the net, uh, they're, they're struggling, um, and they're they're also spending a lot of time in their zone. And then you know, at the end of the day, Lundqvist basically got back to being who he is. And uh, outside of his his the little span of time that he was injured for um, much of 2017, he's been one of the best goalies in the NHL. So um, that's who they are. They're a playoff team who you know is kind of backing in. But you know they'll they'll probably be respectable in the first round. But they're they're an also ran. That's what they are. 
Yeah. Well, they're they're an interesting team uh, for us to discuss here because, I mean, this has been the case for a few years now, but there is this imbalance between their shot metrics, which are hovering in a very pedestrian, like 48 to 49% range, depending on what yeah. you look at. And then their, their goals for, which is pretty good. It's in like the 52% range and their win percentage. And, and you know, it's, it, it's interesting because they're, they're 22nd in shot attempts, they're 12th in goals for, and they're sixth in point percentage. And I think that the obvious thing is like, if you look at any of the models, whoever, whoever's putting them together, they're obviously not going to be very high on them because those shot metrics are baked into it pretty heavily. So they're going to kind of frown upon them. I think that Manny's, um, Emmanuel Perry's model is the only one that has them in the top 10. All the other ones have them in like that 15 to 20 range in the league. But I, I wonder, like I look at this team and they have that quick hitting counterattack style that you mentioned. And that's predisposed to these kind of screwy splits across the board. And I, I just wonder, like it's clearly working for them because they're winning a lot of games and 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 yeah. they're 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 successful. Um, and I guess spinning it forward, like looking at the rest of the league, the question is, why aren't more teams trying to play this style? Do you think the Rangers are just uniquely positioned to pull it off because of their personnel, or do you think that more teams should be trying to adopt this track and tra- like like track meet style, where they're just trading chances and trying to take advantage of whenever their opponent slips up a little bit, as opposed to playing a more conventional balanced attack? Yeah, it's, um, I think it's hard to play this style and, and, and be able to, as a coach or, you know, as a, as a team, be able to anticipate the results. And that's not to say, you know, look, I don't want to give front offices too much credit in, you know, that going into seasons, they have everything figured out about their team. I think, (laughs) I think, you know, uh, it's been proven over time that that a lot of it is, you know, you put your team together and, and you kind of take some stabs in the dark and you hope everything works out. Mm-hmm. But um, just from, you know, putting on my coaching hat, um, it, you if you go into a game, you're like, look, we're going to try to create high leverage chances and we're probably going to give a lot up as well in the process. It's kind of a scary proposition and it makes you as a coach – you know, you kind of shirk at the the idea of um, uh, of just going into a game, going look, let's kind of go for it here. And the interesting thing with the Rangers is, you know, I don't know that I think Vigneault has had a history of kind of coaching his teams this way, and maybe we didn't we didn't notice it as much in Vancouver because they spent so much time in the offensive zone mm-hmm. down deep because cycle like Sedins, right? So you know, you didn't, you didn't notice it, but when, when he got to New York and you had that, that defense, that was kind of, you know, predisposed to ringing around the boards and, and, but you had also these, these offensive weapons, guys that could really get up and go the fast type of players like Kreider. Um, you started to, that you started to kind of see that style bear itself out. So it is, to me, it's a, it's a system that, AV likes to play offensive, offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know that other coaches would think that way. Um, you know, as a myself as a coach, I look at it and I go, whoa, 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 whoa. We we need to let's shore up neutral ice first before we, you know, start trying to play long passes and get our forwards way out out of the zone. You know, we can't even get it across our own blue line okay. half the time. And, um, so it's, it's a little bit of a blind spot with AV as well, because I think he thinks his team is solid defensively, um, just from the quotes and, um, what he says. And, and really that's just not the case. Yeah. And then, you know, when you run into a a team that's just generally faster than you, like the Penguins were last year in the first round, you you kind of, yeah, everything just, just falls apart because, uh, like they're, 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 well, the one condition for this working is that, they're going to take advantage of their speed, especially up front to burn their opponent. And if they lose that ability all of a sudden, then it's like, they don't, they aren't, they aren't really left with anything really to fall back on. And, and we really saw yeah. that in that first round series. And it's, and it's, you know, the thing, the thing with the Rangers is it's the wingers that are getting out and going. And this is something that's kind of left over from, I think really all Samuelson instilled this in the defense. Um, I, I don't, I, I can't, give too much credit to AV. I think it really was Samuelson just from the quotes and, and how he liked to talk about his D, but 
you know, in terms of what they do in the defensive zone, people sometimes ask, well, okay, if they're doing that, you know, stretch passing and, and getting out, aren't the D pretty good at moving the puck up ice? It's not the D that are moving the puck up ice a lot of the time. You know, maybe save McDonough, um, who really even he's not the greatest vertical passer. Yeah. It's it's the supporting center that gets down low and picks puck. Their centers get really low, especially step on, and they work the puck out of the corner and they make those long headman passes or or go off the boards to a guy who's kind of streaking out. So um, you know what that in effect also does is. So you're, you, you send your two wings, they go flying down the ice, your center's trailing, play starts coming back the other way, your center's still behind the play, then you get caught down low and your center's down deep. So in, in, many, in many ways, even though you get those high, um, uh, the, those, those great scoring chances, those two-on-ones every once in a while, you also are handicapping your, your offensive flow and control of possession. And that bears out in the, in the numbers. Their, their possession just isn't there. Um, so, well, to be fair in their defense, like it is sort of when you're value, when you're weighing the risk versus reward and you're trying to figure out like how you want to play this, like it is one of those things where, I mean, when it doesn't work out and when you try to do one of those long stretch passes and it gets picked off and it comes back the other way, it can look really ugly, but like in theory, you only really need a couple of them to work for every handful that flame out completely for it to be a still like a a positive endeavor for you. Right. Because like we see that these odd man rushes like that is, it's so tough to score in today's NHL when you're, when the other team can set up in the defensive zone and you play in that five on five game, like you creating those types of opportunities really is uh, just a complete game changer for them. Yeah. And you know, if I think if, if, if logical Rangers fans, bear with me for a second (laughs) like you know rangers fans beat up on av because of his personnel decisions especially with the fourth line and tanner glass and all that stuff but i you know let's just pretend that av you know 10 years down the road he's no longer coaching the rangers and you know you you sit down next to him at a bar and have a beer if you asked av i think point blank so you know why did you coach this team the way you did um I bet he would say, well, look, you know, we didn't really have defensemen that could corral the puck in their own zone and make outlet passes. So we had, we had to do some different things. And I think he'd also say, keep in mind, you know, we, we played this, you know, kind of chance taking, uh, you know, risk trading game, but we also had the greatest goal in the world in net. So I, I did use my, the personnel I had to, you know, try to get the best result on the ice. Um, you know, can you question some of his systems and methodology and, and of course his personnel decisions? Yeah, yeah, you absolutely can. But, um, yeah, you know what, at the end of the day, you do have Henrik Lundqvist in net and everybody keeps saying, well, I wish that this would just be a better team. So Lundqvist could win a Stanley cup. It's not. And he's, you know, it is what it is. But at least you have that backbone. Uh, You know, what would this team have, what would the results have been over the past three or four seasons if Lundqvist wasn't in that? Um, You know, I don't know if they even, you know, I I don't think they would have won a president's trophy a couple years ago. Yeah, he covers for a lot of those mistakes for sure. Well, so, um, like, early next week, um, I assume my bosses will want me to write a, a little bit of a playoff preview and help, you know, guide people in terms of how these first round series are going to shake out and what to look for and who I think is going to win. And obviously the playoffs are a complete crapshoot and all you can really do is just try to inform yourself a little bit and make a more calculated decision, but it's still going to be kind of up in the air. But I mean, looking ahead to this Canadians Rangers series, like I, it's tough because I generally, you know, we know that if you look at the performance in the last 25 games, that's generally pretty predictive of who's going to win the series more often than not but i think that evaluating this rangers team is so difficult because of all the all the reasons we just mentioned like it's it's pretty easy to say well the canadians have had a better shot share over the past 25 games so i think they're going to win but 
then, you know, you throw in the Blanquist monkey ranch where he could very easily, even though he hasn't necessarily played up to his usual standards this season, he's been better as the year has gone along and, and he's still capable of stealing a series for them. And in a seven game sprint, like it's very conceivable that they could just have a few games where those stretch passes all of a sudden do work and they just get into this track meet where they just run the Canadians out of the gym and just score a bunch of goals. And all of a sudden you're just scratching your head wondering what happened. Like it's, it's, mm-hmm. it seems like, uh, it, I, I have no idea how to go with it because there's like the rational part of my brain to just say, yeah, just pick the Canadians because of all this other, all, all this stuff we know. But then there's the other part of me that's saying, but the Rangers could also just like I could very easily create the blueprint or the recipe for what the Rangers need to do to win that series. Yeah, and it's it makes it even tougher because both teams are kind of backing in down mm-hmm. the stretch. You know, they're both middling, and um, uh, Montreal for for most of the season they've been in the top you know five to ten bouncing around in in the top five to ten in terms of expected goals for mm-hmm. um so you know i think that they're they're carrying play much better than a rangers team who's really kind of middled in that stat and and mostly they've middled because you know their course stinks their scoring chances are okay you know they get um high danger scoring chances and and intend to put them away um so it really does make it hard to predict because in um in a seven game series i think the one thing that we do know is um generally speaking the games seem to get a little bit tighter and uh teams probably take fewer chances in general Mm -hmm. um and and the the team's hone in on on the you know the strengths on strengths and weaknesses so you know if if i was trying to you know make a pick i think i would probably take you know i look you got to call the goaltending a wash um and i think offensively i'd be more afraid of the team that can keep play in your end than the team that, that struggles with that. Yeah. So I, I think, um, you know, Montreal probably has a slight edge, but I, if you, you know, if it went one way or the other, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I mean, the running joke this season has been that the Rangers are sitting in the best spot in the Eastern conference right. playoff picture because it's that, you know, that first wild card way they get to, to play through the Atlantic division part of the bracket rather than having to go up against the other Metro division teams. But it's funny because now after the, the Chris Latang news, like I, I still think that I'd be scared to play the Penguins because even without Latang, who's, who's such a big part of everything they do, like having to just go up against Crosby and Malkin in a series seems very scary and they could easily just win it themselves. So, it, but it, it just like, it, it's funny how, uh, how much the perception of, of, of this entire thing has shifted over the past little bit, because for a while it just seemed like the, the Rangers were laughing in that spot where like, it was pretty clear that they were going to be the big winners here having to stay out of that Capitals, Penguins, Blue Jackets triumvirate. But now I'm not sure if that's changed or whether it's still a, still yeah. a good thing. Yeah. It's interesting too, because, um, you know, the Penguins and Columbus are still kind of jockeying for home ice and I don't put a, a ton of stock in home ice, but, it doesn't hurt, yeah, you know. For sure. Um, so, man, I mean, the the Rangers have, you know, kind of been in terms of their place in the standings and what's going to happen in the playoffs. They've been on cruise control for weeks now. You know, they they kind of okay. We're the first wild card team, and if you look at the, you know, if you look at the other side of the uh, bracket, we're going to face Montreal, and that's just how it's going to work out. So. Um, it's it's funny because Pittsburgh and Columbus are kind of playing down to the wire for something that matters, and um, I generally think that that you, I, you know some say it's overblown, but I do think that that helps. Um, you know, hockey players like to be keyed into something; they like to for for things to matter. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're an athlete, you're a competitor. You want it to matter. You don't want to just get through these games to to get to the playoffs. And, you know, I, I get the, the sense that for, you know, like a team like Pittsburgh, who's starting to click, um, Benino's doing his usual <laughs> spring, uh, you know, spring into the playoffs thing. 
Um, they're kind of starting to come alive for the playoffs, even though they've got these injuries and, um, and they have to play down the stretch if they, you know, they can't. So they're playing the devils, right. And, you know, taking a night off against the devils could be easy. The devils don't really matter in the grand scheme of things, but they're still playing for home ice. So why, you know, why not go out and win that game? And I think it just kind of keeps momentum going in their favor. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I really do wish that they would go back to just playing your standard one through eight um, seating. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I was looking at if they did the one through 16, it would be Ranger, yeah. Rangers Sharks in the first round, which would be incredibly fun and new, <laughs> and new and refreshing. But I can imagine people already complaining about the, the east to west travel for that series. Yeah, I, I think that would be cool. But I think there would be a lot of first round matchups that would be pretty darn taxing. And it would probably, you know, as a result of that, it would extend the playoff schedule even further just mm-hmm. to try to accommodate travel. Yeah. And uh, and that might be a headache. But, I mean, let's at least go back to the, the one through eight and yeah. stop with this goofy, you know, top three in each division nonsense. Yep. Um, okay, let's talk a bit about, uh, I was looking at the forward combinations for the Rangers, and I knew that they were good um because these are three really good players and pretty much everything matt zuccarello is associated with turn winds up turning into gold but uh yeah. the Kreider stepan zuccarello combination has been uh pretty insane they're like 58 percent shots 56 percent scoring chances like 56 percent goals they've they've drawn way more penalties than they've taken like it's it's they're not really talked about much when you when everyone discusses you know the best most lethal forward combinations in the league and the top lines but they've pretty much been as good as anyone out there this season yeah and and it's funny because even still you know rangers fans are still talking about well, what are what are they? You know, what's the team going to do with Stepan? Yeah. Is it time to move him? You know, is his contract too much? Blah 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 blah. He's playing in a role as a first line center, and you can call it whatever you want. I mean, clearly, Zuccarello. Literally, every player that plays with Zuccarello plays better. Yes, and and he's been on lines with you know other good players. I mean, it's not like when he plays with Rick Nash, it's you know he's bringing Rick Nash up to speed here but you know he makes everybody look better that being said you still have to have some you know ability to be a first line center and Derek Stepan is a first line center and no he's not a premier first line center but he's um he's certainly a top six center and uh there are a ton of fans that are still still even this season going ah I don't know he's maybe it's just time to get rid of him it's like why? Look at this line. Look at look at how well they're performing. Um, I, yeah, it's 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 really interesting, and it's it's amazing that league wide more people don't recognize this as a, a potent line. I, I think if you ask an average fan, they wouldn't even know that it's a line combination. Yeah, you know. Well, is there still consternation amongst Rangers? Or I guess I don't even know if it was mostly Rangers fans or just casual fans, or maybe people that are talking heads on NBC Sports. But it's like, do people still care about? Uh, Chris Kreider's apparent lack of effort at times, or is that, or has that been washed away for good? Uh, no, I still hear it from time to time. Um, you know, I, I, I don't. Uh, Kreider is what he is in terms of being a player. Um, you know, he's a physically gifted player with tools. He doesn't always make the smartest decisions on the ice. He's never really going to help you um, to any great extent in the defensive zone. It's just, you know, that's just who he is. Um, but he can be an incredibly effective player if you put him with guys that will cover up for his weaknesses and play to his strengths. And when you put him with a Matt Zuccarello, who is awesome within about six feet of his own blue line, so in the defensive zone, six feet from his blue line, he makes life hell for, for the other team in terms of trying to make passing plays to D and things like that. He breaks those plays up, and he looks for vertical vertical passes to a guy like Chris Kreider, who can then just rip through center ice or rip down the boards, and and create a scoring chance. You know that's that's good. That's a good line combination. That's two guys that have complementary skill sets that can make things happen. Um, you know, not every player. I say this with, about Rick Nash. Like, not every player can be what you want them to be. You have to, <laughs> you have to adjust your expectations a little bit and appreciate them for who they who they actually are. Yeah. No, that's the great like uh, 
I mean, Lars Zeller is a really good example of this. I think Chris Kreider is a more impactful player right now, but it's, it's like people really struggle with these former top prospects or guys that just look physically impressive and have great tools. And then when they don't necessarily become a superstar or put it all together, people just kind of look at them and go, Oh, this player is disappointing. He's not actually that good, even though he is like, he can still be, uh, disappointing in the grand scheme of things because he could have been better but still in mm-hmm. the, in the present be perfectly fine and and valuable as a player as he's as he is this constructed and i look at Kreider and he's he seems like the perfect new york rangers player just for the style they're playing that we mentioned earlier like oh, he's, he's he's so well suited for what they're trying to do absolutely uh, that's that's the winger that you want on a line like that that they can just go mm-hmm. and they have the same thing to, to a certain extent with jt miller i think jt miller is a more skilled version of that and jt miller has the added um you know passing aware and situational awareness um so you know they've they've got these these two guys that they can do that and then you've got rick nash who's just an absolute you know, monster in, in terms of, uh, his ability to ward off players with the puck and Grabner who can score mm-hmm. a lot, apparently. Um, so those, you know, those, that, uh, group of top six, uh, or, you know, I guess it's top nine technically cause Miller falls onto the third line, but, um, those top, uh, those top wingers on the Rangers, I think make that whole system go. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's take a quick little break here to just hear from our sponsors and we'll get back into this discussion. We have pretty loyal listeners who generally know what's up and, and how we do it here in the Hockeypedia cast. So they already know all this. But for those of you that may have just randomly stumbled upon the show for the first time, in which case, where have you been all along? I mean, we've done over 150 episodes by now. Uh, or those of you that don't have your hands free at the moment and can't skip ahead a couple times to this ad like you normally do. And, and I don't blame you for that. I do that myself when I listen to podcasts. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about SeatGeek, who's sponsoring today's show. With their easy-to-use mobile app and online interface, they make it more convenient than ever before to get your hands on some tickets, whether they be for sporting events, to watch your favorite hockey team play, or to a concert for whatever act is in town that night. Uh, In just a couple clicks, they do all the grunt work for you, searching internet high and low to compare prices and find you the best deals out there. To get your own $20 rebate on tickets, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and enter the promo code PDO and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. So all you got to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today and you'll get $20 off. Let's get back to the show. Okay, so I have two things here uh, that I have on my notes that I still want to talk about in terms of Rangers stuff. Uh, one's positive and one's negative. Uh, do you want to talk okay. about Tanner Glass first, or do you want to talk about Brady Shea? <laughs> let's talk about uh, let's talk about Tanner Glass. Okay, yeah, that's that's a quick one. Um, right. Is this actually going to be a thing? Because it seemed like I didn't get too worked up about it when they called him up a few weeks ago or whatever it was, because I figured it was just one of those midseason things. And yeah, no, it's and a thing. He's going to play in the playoffs. He's trying to spark his group and just make some, you know, brief changes to get the team going. But all of a sudden, it's like he's nope. no, he's a thing. Yep, yep. it's a thing. He's uh, going to play. He's going to play over Pavel Buchnevich. He's going to play over, you know, probably one of Jesper Foster or, or Oscar Lindbergh. Um, yep, it's a it's a complete thing. So, um, I'm actually some <laughs> speechless right now. Um, the how they've handled Butchnevich this year has been uh, incredibly disappointing. Not surprising because I remember in the preseason when I was in your neck of the woods, you, me, and Patrick Kearns recorded a podcast together, and we discussed how you know Butchnevich is incredibly talented and could make a difference, but he had. He looked like the exact guy that AV would not uh, warm up to, especially early on. And he came out of the gate hot, was producing a lot and playing really well. And then he got injured a bit. And now he's been in and out of the lineup and sent down and called back up. And I just, I don't understand what they're doing with him. And teams do this all the time with, with these young, talented players where it's like they sporadically put them in the lineup. But when they do, they give them suboptimal teammates and opportunities. Yeah. And then when they don't succeed, they go, well, see, I, I knew he couldn't handle it. He's not just not ready. We're going to have to go with the safer option instead. And it's like they're setting them up to, to fail and just so they can do what they wanted to do and to begin with. It's, it's just like, right. it's just like negative. It's this feedback loop that is just so infuriating to watch from the outside. 
Yeah, I mean, look, put a talented player with other talented players and they'll succeed. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw it last season with Kevin Hayes. Kevin Hayes, drop him down to the fourth line and he's playing either with Tanner Glass or in the playoffs getting scratched for Tanner Glass. And um, But generally playing with guys that aren't up to, to, to his skill level, you can't play hockey alone. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, maybe if you're Conor McDavid or, or Sidney Crosby, you can pull that off. But even a really, really talented player, a guy like a Kevin Hayes, needs somebody to play off of. And especially if you're a playmaker, you, you, need, you need somebody that can put the puck in the net, that can receive passes in, in dangerous areas and do something with it. Um, otherwise, you're not going to have much success. And it, 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 I think the, the phrase feedback loop is perfect. You know, Put them in a put them in a shitty situation, and expect results. And then when they don't give the results that you want, despite the shitty situation, then treat them like shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, what are what are you expecting out of these guys? What are you expecting out out of Pavel Buchnevich, who's a rookie in his first season in uh, North America. in North America? Yep. Uh, never mind the NHL. And, you know, you're dropping him down to the fourth line, pulling him in and out of the lineup for a guy like Tanner Glass, who you know exactly what Tanner Glass is, is and what he can do. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the guy just says, you know, you know what, screw this. I'm just going to go back to Russia, where at least I play on a top line and get some power play time, get to do the things I can do, which is, you know, play with the puck and, and put pucks in the net. That's what he's here for. Those are useful hockey skills, so I've heard. <laughs> I, I, look, I, I, I don't know much. I've been yeah. proven wrong a lot. But I think that it, if you have a guy who is good at hockey things like scoring goals and passing pucks, they should probably get an opportunity to do those things. Yes. Just call me crazy. But, but you know what? Hey, Linda Cohen was criticizing Pavel Buchnevich for not fighting. Yeah, for looking the other way while his teammate was getting in an altercation. That's right. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's talk more positive stuff. Brady Shea. um, He is a delight. I, uh, I, I really fell in love with his game during that brief postseason matchup against the Penguins last year, where he was pretty much the only silver lining. And it it was just like the first thing that stuck out watching him was that ability for him to just fly with the puck and create something out of nothing with his legs. And I, I, it's weird because I look at, his statistical resume and it's it's really eye popping. Like at five on five, the only defenseman with more goal, with more points than him this year are Carlson Burns and and Dougie Hamilton. And Burns and Dougie mm-hmm. Hamilton are the only two guys that have done it more efficiently on a permanent basis because Carlson's just logging an insane amount of minutes at five on five. And you know you look at the full list of defensemen with a better uh, relative Corsi than him, and I think he's thirteenth out of one hundred and ninety two qualified defensemen, whereas Dan Girardi's one hundred and eighty third. So um, that it seems like a, a big discrepancy <laughs> between those two. But then you look, and he's sixth amongst Rangers defensemen in five on five usage, and he's. It just—I don't know—is it one of those things where he's just a, a young defenseman, so Av doesn't trust him, or like I? Because like when I watch him, it's not like he's a liability in his own zone. Like I just don't really see why he's not relied upon more. Yeah. I, I, I don't well, get. Well, yeah, it's uh, you know it could go to the whole that Av doesn't trust young players, and there's a you know uh, a forced learning curve that I think he's been shown to put on almost every young player. Um, there are very few that come in that just jump right up and get the playing time that maybe they deserve. Um, Brady Shea is years ahead of where I expected him to be in terms of his um, physical maturity and his mental maturity. I mean, he's an, he looks like a guy, first of all, just if you just look at him, you're like, that guy's a hockey player. <laughs> like, You know what I mean? It's like one of those things where you see him on the ice and you're like, that guy belongs. Uh, just uh, you know, watch him skating down the ice. And you're like, wow, okay, we, we've got something here. Before you even know anything about what he can do, you know, on top of that, he's got incredible awareness with the puck. Um, he always has his head up. He has, you know, one of the things that I noticed was at five on five, he has um, he has about an equal amount of of primary and secondary assists, mm-hmm. but um, he he has just like a, a perfect kind of razor razor sharp accurate 
first pass that he can make and he gets guys in stride. Um, so kind of that vertical passing that I was talking about that works well with this team. But at the, but, but then other times he won't see something, so he won't force it. Instead he'll curl back, you know, he'll make a safe, smart play, um, not do, not do anything stupid with the puck to turn it over. Um, and not just kind of throw it off the boards to turn it over. So he's got this, um, it's a little bit like a, I guess like a Keith Yandel where he, you know, is more reticent to just give up the puck if he doesn't have something or force it if he doesn't have something. And, um, you know, those are things that, you know, for uh, a rookie or second year player, uh, I mean, that's, that's something. So yeah, it's frustrating that he doesn't get the, the time on ice that he deserves, especially when you've got, you know, guys like Nick Holden that are, yeah are ahead of him on the depth chart, so to speak. Well, it, so not that they necessarily have uh, better options, as you just mentioned, to play in his place. But I do wonder, like, you know, just stylistically what we were talking about in terms of how uh, the Rangers want their forwards to fly the zone and, and, and get that quick counterattack going. Like, I wonder if maybe a guy whose tendency is to just put his head down and maybe skate the puck out himself a bit more because he is so good at it. Like, do you think that, Maybe that is a potential reason why he's not playing more, just because it's like if he was a, one of those pure puck mover guys where he just, you know, as soon as it's on his stick, it's off of it and he's getting it out quickly to a guy. Like, I just wonder if maybe that's because I'm trying to figure out reasons for why uh, five other Ranger defensemen are playing more frequently than him because nothing in the numbers suggests that that should be the case. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like we would really have to do. Um you know, some mental gymnastics mm. to try to, <laughs> to try to make sense of it really, because I guess my point, you know, with what I was saying earlier is he, um, he really doesn't force anything, yeah. you know, he, he doesn't force himself to skate with the puck and, and I'll tell you, and I'm a huge fan of McDonough. I, I do think he's a true number one defenseman, um, who has been carrying around an anchor weight for years, but, um, you know, McDonough, sometimes has a tendency to force the puck either force a pass or force um force skate it and he gets some criticism for that and i think it's justifiable you know a lot of the times it's trying it's him trying to make something happen it's kind of like cam fowler uh he has that reputation a little bit he's trying to make something happen and he just you know and then he'll turn it over you know five five feet after crossing his own blue line Mm -hmm. um shea doesn't do any of that shea just makes smart decisions all over the ice so I, I don't know. I you know I, I I can't really figure out a justification for why he's just not already playing, um, you know, as much or more than than anybody else. It, it's you know there's a little bit of seniority that's that's going on. I think it really comes down to that. Do you think that um, if you know the the common uh, belief or the, or the hot rumor uh, is that. Kevin Shattenkirk will wind up on this team this summer. Like, do you think that the Rangers will actually uh, use him properly and allow him to just do his thing? Or do you think it's going to be some more of that Keith Yandel goodness where they're, uh, they're not letting him really spread his wings because he's a bit, a bit too risky or perceived riskiness of the way he plays. Yeah. You know, the, the one thing that benefits Shattenkirk over Yandel is that he's always played for winning teams and so, you know, when you have that NHL winning team, team leader on a winning team pedigree, it follows you around and it sticks, whether it has anything to do with your actual play quality or play style or not. So I think that, you know, Yandel didn't have that. Yandel came from, oh, well, he's, you know, he's playing in Arizona. They're a perpetual loser. He's freewheeling, you know, and it's like all those things kind of feed into each other. They give up a lot of goals which means he gives up a lot of goals, you know, let's not look at the underlying stats on, on, you know, the situation he was in. Let's just kind of pigeonhole him into the, the, the reputation of the team he played on. So, you know, that's, I think what benefits Shattenkirk. I, so I, I think that if Shattenkirk does uh, come to New York and I really believe he will, um, he'll get the benefit of the doubt in that, in, in that respect. 
I hope you're right. It'll be very uh, disappointing I mean, as a should. hockey fan. If, <laughs> yeah, it's it's. It, I mean, I go I go on this rant all the time, but it's like I feel like people sometimes genuinely just look at how many points the defenseman has, and that guides their opinion on whether they're a defensive liability or not. It's like you're yeah. allowed to <laughs> you can have you can be offensively gifted and 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 contribute in that regard and still be perfectly fine in your own zone. It's not like you have to sacrifice one to come to to do the other. It's like they actually kind of go hand in hand sometimes. It's such a hilarious and bizarre thing. Um, and, you know, just going back to the Rangers, it fits with uh, Nick Holden, for example. So, um, or Kevin Klein from a few years ago. So, if you're a defenseman, whatever play style you are, defensive defenseman, you know, fast, slow, doesn't matter. If you're a defenseman and you don't put up a lot of points during your career, but then all of a sudden you find some, you know, offensive wellspring and you just start scoring at a rapid clip in a particular season, the opinion doesn't become that what you were just saying, which is, well, he's, you know, he's a liability defensively. It becomes, Oh, well, he's realizing all of his potential. And now he's, (laughs) now he's an offensive threat and he's the, he's the best of both worlds and he's this and that it's never, um, oh, well, he just got lucky for a little while and he found the back of the net on some slap shots or, you know, whatever happened. Um, so it's this, it's, it's such a funny dichotomy with the, the kind of the reverse of it. You have an offensive defenseman who always puts up numbers and everybody just disregards whether they're good at defense or not and just assumes they're an offensive defenseman. Mm-hmm. And then if they slow down on their numbers, it's not, oh, well, they're they're focusing more on their defense it's well they're falling apart as player <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty funny um okay let's let's do a little bit of goalie stuff because i feel like you being on the show there's like a certain quota we have to fill otherwise yeah, people, people will go home disappointed um <laughs> so i'm looking at some of the the head-to-head matchups not that you know goalies are facing each other head-to-head but it's 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 gonna be built that way and i think the lundquist price one is obviously uh the most marquee one i mean Matt Murray versus Sergei Bobrovsky is going to be pretty good. Like, what do you? Which one are you excited to see? Like how it plays out, or or who can get who can who can one up the the guy that's going to be on the other end of the ice? Well, I I think um, it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening with the second wild card mm-hmm. uh, in the East. Uh, if so, where are we sitting right now? Is it Toronto that's sitting there? It is right now, yeah. But it's like yeah. that's like a one point gap between those three right. teams. So, so but what I would I, what I would like to see is I'd love to see Rask and Holpe. Not that you know, I mean, look, Rask has been injured. He's kind of struggled more as the season went went on. He he was really strong for a little while there, and yeah. and he and he fell off. Um, but I still I don't know. There's just something about. Um, Rask, I, I always just feel like when it hits playoff time, he's going to perform. And I'd like to see that matchup in, in a first-round matchup. You know, I think everybody knows that, that Price and Lundqvist, um, they are what they are. And that could make for a very boring offensive series if, you know, if their offenses aren't kicking and those guys are, are playing up to their standards, um, there may not be many goals. Yes. Um, yeah, so you know who wouldn't yeah. like that uh that Rask matchup with with the Capitals? Braden Holby probably wouldn't like that. Um, <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were talking about this on Twitter earlier today, but he has a nine thirty save percent, nine thirty seven save percentage in uh in his forty six career playoff games. Holby does, uh, yeah. but he's twenty two and twenty four in those games because the other goalie is stopping nine thirty three on the other <laughs> end of the ice, and it's like, yeah. I mean, obviously playing three seven game series uh, against well, Henrik Lundqvist will do that, but he also have played one against Tim Thomas, and then he played another one against Yarrow Halak while Halak was still on top of his game so it's like this dude just cannot catch a freaking break yeah he's one of the you know in the modern era he's been one of the best playoff performers um in his you know during the span of his career but his opposition has been just as good so it's it's funny that it gets overshadowed and you know it speaks to how much um value everybody puts in just winning um you know, if the guy could catch a break, he would win more games, but he, he really can't control what happens on the other side of the ice. Um, you know, he probably should have the reputation as a playoff winner, um, you know, more so than, than some of the more undeserving guys like, like John Quick, who, you know, he got carried to a Stanley Cup. Mm. So, um, yeah, and, and Holpe has really come into his own. He's having his best season of his career um, better, much better than last season when he won the Vezina. 
Uh, but he he shouldn't win the Vezina this year because Bobrovsky has just run away with it. So um, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how things play out. I, you know, part of me I can't say this, but I'm going to say this. A part of me is kind of rooting for the Capitals just for things like that. You know, Holpe yeah. probably Holpe and the rest of the team, Ovechkin uh, and Backstrom especially, they've probably earned it at this point. Yeah, that would be a nice little narrative buster, although I'm, I'm sure, you know, I've learned um, that people will just find something new or, or, or they'll attribute it to Jay Beagle or something. Like, I don't know. It'll never be the guys that actually deserve the credit that'll uh, get praise for it. But um, so out West, uh, there aren't, I don't know, I'm, I was kind of scrambling looking for uh, Talbot. In- intriguing. Yeah, Talbot. Do you think that, has yeah. anyone really, okay, so. I've been asked this um, because <laughs> you didn't I didn't even ask your question. I just said, yep. <laughs> well, we, we mentioned, we mentioned it earlier uh, a few months ago, I think when we were recording, cause we were talking about Talbot's workload this season. And I offhand mentioned that, you know, just intuitively uh, you don't really want to play your goalie 70 something games in the regular season. We've seen teams stop doing that from the, from the Kipper South Broder days, as we now know mm-hmm. that, you know, rest is important and you're probably better off playing in that like 55, 60 ish, uh, regular season game and then giving your backup some nice run, especially with all the back to backs. But I also, I'm not sure if there's actually been a definitive, uh, piece of work that's looked at how a goalie's performance has either eroded or improved based on workload as the year has gone along. Like, is that, is it just one of those things where we're intuitively saying that when we think that's the case versus something that we can actually point to and say, like after a certain point, the goalie just starts to break down. I guess it is like, it's such a subjective case by case basis thing that it'd be tough to generalize that. So I did a thing, um, last year when I was, uh, I, I was coming up with different topics that I might want to talk about at, um, the Rochester, um, hockey analytics conference. And one of them was this, this exact topic, which is how does workload affect playoff performance? And so I ran a bunch of different tests, um, you know, testing kind of tiers of, of workloads and, and, and then bumping that up against the, the annual playoff performance of the goaltender. And of course you're working with small and imperfect sample sizes. Um, I was hoping that maybe just something would come out of it anyways and nothing, nothing at all came out of it. There were, there were no reliable correlations. It was just all over the map. You had guys that played a ton of games and performed poorly guys that played a ton of games and perform well and, 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 you know, in the opposite. So, um, it, it, uh, yeah, you, you look at a guy like Talbot who's played, you know, whatever he's played 148 games this season and um and you start to say well when is this going to you know when is this going to hurt him and um you you don't know you just don't know yeah you really you really don't i mean he could very easily um not that i'm wishing injury upon anyone but he very easily could just go down like pull his hamstring or something or he could be amazing and guide them to a long playoff run and i think both things are very very possible so it's 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 a it's a tough one and i think you know the the whole thing in this i i've we've talked about it before on on your podcast you know one of the things i'm most interested in with with analyzing goaltender performance is biometrics and trying to determine you know the physical tips that we can find to to try to guess at how well a goalie is going to perform whether it be injuries or physical makeup or anything like that and I think the important thing to remember with NHL goalies or any NHL player or any pro athlete is these are people that are in their, you know, their peak condition, generally speaking, absent injuries. So if you're looking at a guy, you know, an NHL goaltender who's relatively young, who doesn't have an injury history, um, you know, it's safe to assume that he can probably stand up to the workload because that's what he does for a living. Um, but you know, you do, I think at some point you do get into uncharted territory. And if you draw the correlation to baseball with pitchers, um, you know, over time they've, they've learned that you, you can overwork an arm, you can overwork a pitcher. And I think that it's true for goaltenders as well. And where you see it is with the, you know, the, the life expectancy of a goaltender, um, you know, in terms of, of staying in the league, early thirties, they're, they're blowing out their groins and their knees and everything else and, and falling apart. And I think some of that has to be tied to your workload. It has to be, yeah. uh, we just have to prove it. 
Yeah, and that's on that's on people like you and I to to, to help. I know, yeah. I know. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. Write. Or people I, way smarter than us. Uh, one of the, <laughs> one of those two. Uh, yeah. Nick, man, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to come chat. It was a it was a good good time, and uh, I think that we'll get you back on as our uh, resident goalie expert during the playoffs. Maybe we'll see. Maybe Pekka Rene implodes a little bit, and all of a sudden we got to get the the UC Soros bandwagon up yeah. and running again. We'll see. Yeah, I hope so. Well, thanks for having me on. Hopefully, uh, I can make it onto your Mount Rushmore. Of, uh, of <laughs> you got some work to do, my point. friend. You got some work to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll chat soon. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockeypdocast. Cheers.